Hi, my name is Derek Jackson. I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Get Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, today's guest is Sir Darren Jacklin. Yes, you heard that right. Darren was recently knighted by the Royal Family of Spain, and that is just one of the incredible accomplishments that this man has done. He has rang the NASDAQ belt multiple times. He spoke to basically every Fortune 500 company out there, and he has met some of the most influential people in this world. And that doesn't include all of his accomplishments by being an entrepreneur and philanthropist. In this episode, we talk about his journey coming up from being homeless and lost in life to becoming a motivational speaker and very successful business owner. We also cover Darren's idea of everything you want in life is only one connection away and why he values networking so much. We also go through and find out what he has learned about money management from some of the wealthiest people on the planet. And I promise you, there is some gold nuggets in there. Darren is one of the most connected people I know, and I can't wait for you to hear what he has to share on this episode of the Go Big to Give Big podcast. So welcome to the show, my friend. I'm grateful to be here and grateful to be in service. That's awesome, man. Now, you have probably one of the most incredible stories, but you also fly so under the radar. You know, you're not one of the most spoken about entrepreneurs out there, but I think you have some of the best experiences and some of the best stories. And I would love to sit here for three hours and ask you questions and share with the audience because I think they would always have so many golden nuggets from there. But if you were to compress that into a short intro about, you know, your story of, you know, going through homelessness, getting taken advantage of and everything you've done to now being super successful, crunch that down for me and just walk us through a bit of the journey. Sure. I'll unpack some of my backstory about growing up. So I grew up in Swiftcurd, Saskatchewan, Canada middle-income family, middle-class family. And in grade one, I failed public school, grade one, and I was misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability. And so by the educators, they determined that you know I wasn't that smart in school. So some people even called me retarded. And so I was put into what we call special education classes. So from grade one to grade 12, I was in special education. I never went to regular normal public school. And when I was seven years of age, I created my first company called Rent a Kid. I would go out and I'd look at opportunity zones of way to solve problems in my neighborhood, in my community. And I would go and knock on doors and introduce myself and see if I can cut the grass or shovel snow in the wintertime or deliver newspapers or rake leaves or do different odd jobs by taking care of my neighborhood. And what I realized at a very young age is that we don't have money problems in life, we only have thinking problems. There's no lack of money in the world. It's a lack of mindset of thinking. And so I did that. And by the time I was nine years of age, I hired my two best friends. Now I'll be 50 years of age this year. I don't feel like I'm 50 or look like I'm 50, but I'll be 50, half a century old. And, you know, back when I was nine years old, those two best friends, we still communicate today four decades later. Like, think about that. You know, it's pretty incredible. 
And so I did that. I struggled all the way through junior high school, then into high school. And I was told in grade 11 by a guidance counselor and a school teacher that I probably would not graduate from grade 12 based on my academic marks. And that really affected me. And they said that, you know, you're never going to go to college. You're never going to go to university. You're probably not going to amount to much because I had big goals and big dreams. Now I want to travel the world. I want to build a lot of companies. I want to make a lot of money. I want to have a lot of freedom. And I want to do a lot of great things in terms of humanitarian philanthropies around the world. And they're looking at each other in this room saying, okay, you're never going to go to college, never go to university. You know, these thinking big things is crazy, right? Like it's weird. And so it really affected the image of my self-confidence. So I did graduate from grade 12, left Swift Current, Saskatchewan, then went out west to a place called Vernon, British Columbia, Canada, in the Okanagan Valley of British Columbia, Canada. And I did multiple suicide attempts to end my life. I had no direction. I had no focus. I had no purpose as a man in my life. And I just was really, my self-image, my self-confidence, my self-esteem was very low. And so I learned differently. And there's some things I can share practically with your audience today. In terms of success, things that I've done as strategies, I call my secret weapons that I've done in my life that produce measurable results. And these are things you're not going to learn by getting an MBA in a college university. This is street smart business school things that I've learned to build a lot of success today in business. And, you know, I've, we've committed a hundred million dollars in the next 10 years towards global philanthropy. So I believe in profit for people. You know, I'm not focused on making money. I love making a lot of money, but that money is being paid forward and passed on for generational wealth planning, for legacy planning, for philanthropy is what it is. So that's the drive for me is making a ripple of impact on the planet by transforming the human spirit. So incredible. And that's just a fraction of the incredible things you've done and a bit of your story. But did you always, you said you thunk big, really big in junior high and high school and stuff and always had this vision of giving back. Like what drove that? Like where did that come from at such a young age to just have such an inspiration to do so much more? Yeah, great question. I'd say it's modeling. I, you know, growing up and being in special education, I wasn't like a regular normal kid in school. So I was always invisible. I was never seen. I always felt I was stupid, not smart enough, not good enough, not worthy enough. I don't matter. You know, I'm always the last kid picked for everything in school. I was somebody you'd never picked for a sports team. You know, I was always the kid just to even out the score whenever there was group activities. Oh, Darren, you go over here because then it's an even number, right? So I was always, I know what it's like to always be picked last. I know it's like to always be not noticed or seen. And so I guess even like in my life today, I've always been very low profile, but high impact. Right. I move around this planet, you know, very low profile, but make big moves and, you know, very well connected globally as well. And so in my life, modeling other people, I knew when I was, you know, a young kid with my rented kid business, I would go around neighborhoods and I would see people living in big homes. And I'm like, how do they do that? Like, how do you do that? How do you drive a nice car? How do you take nice vacations? How do you put your kids in private school? How do you do that? Like, and I was just so curious. I used to go knock on doors of people in big homes. And I would just, out of curiosity, want to ask what they did. And so I started, you know, cutting grass for dentists and lawyers and doctors and entrepreneurs and business owners and successfully these clues. And I started to discover that these men and women, they don't work for money. Rich people do not work for money. That was a big aha moment when you grow up as a kid. And I never learned that in a book, never learned that in school. I learned that being on the street, having conversations with a lot of people. And I learned that rich people don't work for money. Rich people work to acquire income producing assets. They're buying income-producing assets. So as the masses of the population are spending money on liabilities, right, buying things that depreciate in value, like boats and snowmobiles and quads and ATVs and paddle boards and things like that and golf golf equipment, these rich people were buying things that generate income-producing income. Something I also learned was a thing called MRR, monthly recurring revenue. 
They'll invest in things that create monthly recurring revenue that just repeats over and over and over again. So when I was younger, I started to learn by modeling other people. And that just shifted in my mindset, realizing, wow. Then many years later, after I left high school, I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And I'm reading this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm thinking, there's a book written about this. This is stuff I learned by watching, observing successful rich people growing up. And, you know, I grew up in Sukkot, Saskatchewan, a city of less than 20,000 people in population. It wasn't a big city. It wasn't a major city. But there's enough people in that environment that I could watch and observe of what they did, what was their moves. And so that taught me a lot by visually modeling people. So that's the key thing is modeling, right? And I always share with people, never assume you aren't being observed. So as you're out there on your journey in life, never assume you're not being watched. And so people are always watching, always observing us. That's incredible. And you have someone that's always had a big vision and you have this modeling process that you do. And I believe even in the room you're in right now, you have a photo frame in the back. Yeah, I know. At, at, yes. Yeah, I think it's about a hundred people or so that you want to yeah. get connected with. Fact, I'll take it over here just to visually show everybody here. This is my home office, but this is a hundred people that I write out every year. And I have a hundred people from all walks of humanity from all over the planet, from all different walks of the world. And these men and women, every time I meet somebody, I put a star beside them. And so what I do is it's like a visual mind map or a visual, you know, vision board of people I want to meet because and people say, why do you do that? Well, here's something to consider. If we're up in the International Space Station and we're looking down on planet Earth and we're looking at all the human beings on the planet, right? Or we go to Facebook or Instagram or any social media channel, LinkedIn, and we look at this, what are we? We link everybody together. All we are is a network of conversations. As human beings, all we are is a network of conversations. Now, that should give you goosebumps on goosebumps when you look at all we are is a network of conversations. So everything that you and I want in our lives is going to come from strangers, everything we want, everything we need, everything we desire in our lives. So the key thing is, it goes down to two things. Number one is writing down on paper, what is it that you really, really, really want in your life? You know, if we did a survey and just walked around randomly, any major city in the world and walked around and just surveyed a hundred people at random and asked them, what is it you really, really want in your life? The majority of the people, nine out of 10 people will tell you, I don't know. They have no clearly defined written goals of what they want. I have thousands of written goals. Okay. I have my life. Here's a master plan. This is my life to age a hundred. And I spend 15 minutes every day. It's a non-negotiable daily activity, structuring my counter, working on my master plan. Now that's thousands of hours over time of that. But the first thing is it starts with writing down something on paper, write down on paper. And then from that, it, it gets to be multiple papers and it becomes a book, it becomes a manual. But it's just starting very small, but being consistent with it over a period of time. And so the key thing is that what, if we're just a network of conversations, everything comes from strangers, then the two things is what? Number one is write down what you really want. The second step is then start making requests. Because for every question that we don't ask, the answer is always no. So I make requests every day. Sometimes they're outrageous requests, unreasonable requests, powerful requests, but I'm just making requests. Hey, could you help me with this? And I'll send a text message. I'll send an email and make a phone call. Hey, would, could you help me with this? And I'm always making requests. And when I make a request, people only do one of three things. Step number one is they'll accept the request. Step number two is they'll decline the request. Or step number three is they'll counteroffer the request. But people are always waiting for an invitation. So when I make requests, I'm always making requests but then I'm always finding ways to build relationship equity. And that's the key thing is relationship equity. So I'm relational versus transactional. Most people today in social media are transactional. They friend request you and then they want something for you. They're trying to get something from you. And what do you want to do? You just want to delete them. You want, you're, you want to avoid those people. 
You want to build relationship equity so people get to know you and like you and trust you over a period of time. Part of their discovery and due diligence process on you. So the key thing is making requests. And so a lot of times people fail in business because they're not making requests. People fail in sales. They become a licensed real estate agent or a mortgage broker or insurance salesman. And they're out of the business within the first 12 to 18 months or less. Why? Because they go out there and they're not making requests and they're transactional versus relational. So I am constantly being a go-giver, finding ways to provide value to be in service to other people. And that's the key thing is we're just a network of conversations. That's so fascinating. That's one of the things I've always loved about you is just how much you love networking and getting to know people. And one of your skill sets is, you know, addressing companies and businesses and seeing how people run them and seeing their, how they operate them. And just before we hopped on here, you're sharing some stories about, you know, how most people think that their dreams and goals have to be done by themselves. You start talking about Elon Musk and Richard Branson's of how do they run so many companies and how do they have everything so big, but they're just one person. Absolutely. I'd love for you to just dive deeper into that of how do, sure. how do you think bigger in the space of your goal isn't just about you. It yeah. was about having other people involved. Absolutely. Yeah. So something people can write down and I want you to look at this, put it on your mirror, right? Lipstick or write it down, put it on an index card, put it in your sun visor when you're driving. Most of your goals and dreams do not require your actions. Just sit and contemplate that, ponder that. Most of your goals and dreams do not require your actions. Most of your goals and dreams do not require your actions. You're like, whoa, that's just a paradigm shift in my mindset. Because it's about creating teams and teamwork. There's what they call integrators and visionaries. There's two great books written. One is called Traction and the other one's called Rocket Fuel. Two must read books. You may have read them. Called Rocket Fuel and Traction. People just Google them or go on to the public library or Amazon and check them out. I didn't write them, but we use them as recommended reading within our group of companies. And what he talks about is the visionary and the integrator. So like you're not like Sir Richard Branson, for example, or Elon Musk or any influential person, man or woman that's out there today that's building empires of businesses. Most of the goals and dreams don't require their actions. So what it does is you're about creating teams and teamwork. That's the key thing is so you have the vision of what you really want to do and create in your life. And if you don't, if you're stuck right now or confirmed saying, man, I'm indecisive, I'm in analysis paralysis, I don't know what I want. The reason why is you're doing life by yourself. You're the cog in the wheel. And the key thing is if you want to accelerate your growth, right? And so for I, so for example, I'm in acquisition mode this year, right? right? We're buying companies. We're buying cybersecurity companies. We're buying accounting firms. We're buying version technology companies. We're doing a lot of acquisitions this year, a lot of play, plays in the space in North America. What we do is we go out and raise private money because here's something to think about. It's easier to acquire revenue or it's easier to acquire cash flow than to create it. See, a lot of times you want to create a startup company. It's higher risk. It's higher, more risk to raise money with a startup. I can go buy an accounting firm that's been around for decades. It's got financials for 10, 20, 30 years, create a data room online with one of my team members, go to an investor, say, here's our data room. Take a look at our data room. Here's our last five or 10 years of our financials. Here's our cash flow. Acquire that accounting firm and then look at the data and then create ancillary services, which is multiple revenue streams. Additional product services now provide to that company. So I can buy a company for a couple million bucks and within a couple of years turn it into multi several millions of dollars just by taking the under underutilized, underutilized assets of the business and monetizing it. So it's called opportunity zones. So when people want to create a business, like I said earlier, we don't have money problems like we have thinking problems. There's no lack of money. My friends have money problems. They make so much money in a month through multiple revenue streams. They don't know what to do with it. So they're always looking for asset allocation, right? And I'm not saying there's an invitation for real estate approaches. Hey, can you introduce me to your friends? I'm not going to make that happen. But the key thing is I'm sure that we need that there's two types of people. There's people who've got money problems that don't have enough money. We have a lot of money. 
The average millionaire in North America has seven revenue streams, has seven income streams coming into that household, seven. Most people have one revenue stream, which is high risk. We saw it during COVID-19, during the global pandemic and the lockdown, people that were trading time for money, which is 78% of the population live paycheck to paycheck in North America, 78%. The average North American does not have access to $500 liquid cash. So recent data just came up last year, 500 bucks. Most people can't go get 500 bucks from an ATM machine or a bank. It's liquid cash, okay? So the key thing is their mindset about money. Now, who do they model from? They go to people that are just like them. They talk to somebody in the lunchroom, talk to somebody on social media versus studying what successful people do. Now, I, a lot of times you've got to qualify successful people because there's certain people out there that have a fancy lifestyle and a flashy lifestyle that they look on the surface, they look like they're really successful, but financially they're broke, right? Whereas guys like myself or other guys you get around, low profile, but liquid with cash, right? And that's a difference. And so the key thing is you want to get around. I'm a person with quiet money, right? My friends hang out with quiet money. Our money's quiet. Our money's not on the street making noise. Our money's not on the street loud. Our money on the street's not flashy. It's just quiet. And that's the key thing is you want to get around people that have quiet money. Because quiet money makes big moves, but it's very under the radar. It's very low profile, but high impact. But when that money makes a move, it makes a big ripple of impact. And it serves a lot of people, solves a lot of problems and makes a big difference in the world. I think in the time that we've known each other, you know, one of the easy things that I've been able to spot is one of your highest areas of skill, which is getting your money right and helping others do the same thing. And you mentioned in just a minute ago that there was a recent stat of like the average Canadian from North American or whatever it was doesn't have access to $500 of liquidity, which blows my mind. And it's, yeah. it's a horrible thing for those people who might be in that situation or are building a business or wanting to have similar types of dreams and ambitions as you shared on this podcast so far, what are some simple steps that they can do to get their money right? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So first of all, I was once homeless. I once lived on the streets on welfare and just full transparency and being vulnerable here. I actually here in Canada, I used to have an R9 credit rating in my twenties and my early thirties. I was an R9 credit rating. Now, most people who are out not traditional banking or financial industry, may not understand that terminology, so I'll qualify it. An R9 credit rating is the worst possible credit score you can get in Canada. It is high risk. So when you walk into a bank in Canada or Equifax or Union Credit, an R9 is worst possible case scenario. So I was so financially flat broke in my 20s, I went in to file personal bankruptcy and I went through the application process. And when it came time for payment to file the processing fees for bankruptcy, I couldn't pay the $1,500 at the time and so I couldn't financially afford to go bankrupt. That's how broke I was. And so um, I wanted to share with people to understand that, you know, I've come from R9 credit rating. I've come from eating my next meal of a garbage dumpster. I've come from having to cash my welfare check in a money mark because I was being sued by the bank and my bank account got shut down and I got evicted and I got my car repossessed. So I've been down and out. I've been flat broke, not even paycheck to paycheck. I was so flat broke, my next meal came out of a garbage dumpster. So I know it's like to uh, people look at my lifestyle now, they go, oh my gosh, you travel in the world and do all these great things, but they don't see my backstory. They see the success story, but they don't see the come up story. And then, the, you know, and that's the key thing. It's all about your comeback story. So the key thing is to look at is number one is three steps. Number one is you go and earn money or make money. Wealthy people don't make money or earn money. They collect money. That's the difference. If you look at people that are really successful, they don't make or earn money. They collect money, right? Now you have professional entertainers that go out there and they're doing sports. But really wealthy people do not make or earn money. They collect money. It's different. They're building businesses to collect money. Okay. And just for some clarity there, like collecting money versus earning money, 
you know, earning money, your money's going in, but then you have expenses going out. So collecting money is money coming in and staying in and then, you know, amplifying and that investments and yep. MRs. Yeah. And they're not always active. So I'm, I have a group of companies with Tatiana, but I'm not active in the companies. I'm passive. I have oversight and guidance and governance and direction. I have weekly calls for accountability and reporting, but I'm not actually running the, as I'm here having this conversation right now, I've got different companies. I've got lots of people working in different companies all over the world, but they're doing the work. They're running the day-to-day operations. I'm not. And they're just reporting up through KPIs, key performance indicators, and then NPS net promoter scores. So we metric everything, right? So the key thing is that, first of all, is number one is to make her earn or collect money. Step number one. Number two is once you get money, people then will spend money according to their value system. So what I mean by that is, so for example, if you're a mother and you value your children, when money comes into your bank account or your household, you will spend money according to your value system, what you prioritize most of your life. Most people do not prioritize themselves priority. They pay their rent, pay their mortgage payment, their cell phone bill, their car payment. They go to the movie theater, pay their Netflix. And then when there's money left over, I'll pay myself. Then they get into this vicious cycle of paycheck to paycheck, right? And so the thing is, is that there was a book written many years ago here in Canada called The Wealthy Barber by David Chilton. And Wealthy Barber talked about, you know, pay yourself first, right? Always pay and honor yourself first. Most people don't pay and honor themselves first. So that's the first thing is the mindset of now honoring themselves to pay themselves first. So you make the money, earn it, or collect it, except number one. Number two is you protect the money. So when you go out in nature, I hike a lot. So I go out in nature and I'm always watching the squirrels because nature teaches us a lot. And the squirrels are always collecting the nuts and then they're hiding the nuts and they're storing the nuts. So they're protecting those nuts because it might be a long winter. Then once you protect the money, step number three is very few people in the world know how to do this. I'm really good at it now. And I learned the hard way through a lot of pain, which is multiplying money. So when I was homeless on the streets, I was clashing my welfare check at a money mart. Then I would go to a 7-Eleven convenience store and I'd live in a hot dog and a super big gulp or a hot dog and a Slurpee for a couple months on less than $2 Canadian a day. So I learned how to protect that money through a lot of pain and adversity and how to multiply it. So the key thing is a lot of times people go to financial institutions and financial firms, but these people are just selling products and services salespeople. They don't actually have not built wealth. You want to study wealth if you've already built wealth, Right. And wealth is, wealth comes in various different forms. I always share to people, you know, where is your billions? Like you might be wealthy in your relationships or wealthy in art or wealthy in music or wealthy in intellectual ideas or property or wealth in financial. Wealth is well-being. Wealth is stored in many different areas, not just financial. Every human being on the planet is wealthy. Wealth just shows up in a different form. We always think wealth is all financial or status. No, wealth shows up in very, I've learned lots from people from all walks of the world through how wealth is stored, stored in there. You know, somebody with a very talented musician, that, that person, I, you know, I don't have to play guitar. So I look at that person is really successful because they know how to play guitar or somebody that can lead an orchestra. Wow. It's amazing. How do you do that? Or somebody can play professional sports. So the key thing is looking at where is your wealth stored? Then looking at how do you solve a problem, which we call opportunity zones. So most people, if I watch the news media, People are like, oh my gosh, and they're depressed. I look at, okay, what's what problems can I solve? How can I serve the masses of the population? So, because we don't have money problems, like we only have thinking problems. So the key thing is, it's a mindset of saying, okay, just I'm going to have my rent-a-kid business. How can I cut people's grass? So when, so when I was walking home from school, you know, like I see kids today when I go to a crosswalk and I'm driving and they're walking home, I was the kid walking down the street saying, oh my gosh, that, that, that person hasn't cut their grass. I'd run up and knock on the door, excuse me, sir. I know she haven't cut your grass for a few days. Are you really busy? Can I cut your grass? Well, that person, the paint's chipping off the wall. That person's got junk in their home. You know, can I remove it? That person's taking a vacation. Can I walk their dog, take in their mail? See, I'm always looking for, there's money opportunities everywhere. If we just, if I take you guys outside 
and we were in, a, in an area, we just drew a, a, you know, a radius around where we were and said, okay, add up everything that you see right now is financial, like the painting on your wall, you know, how much it costs for the stud, the nails, how much it costs to build the building, all that stuff. You just look at how much wealth, financial wealth is stored there. And yet somebody had to think and invent everything. Like the people that founded Zoom, we're using Zoom video conferencing right now. Why not be a billionaire? Because look at how many problems they've solved by being virtual location dependent anywhere on the planet by Zoom. They've solved a major problem by being location independent and virtual. So the mindset is just thinking about ways that you can solve a problem, provide a value or service to the marketplace, and it's fair media exchange get paid for. So you never have to leave your home today. You can have multiple revenue streams from your home wherever you are on the planet. I, I have a school in Liberia, West Africa, one of the poorest countries on the planet through our family foundation. And we're starting to train and develop those people over there on how they can create economic development, how they can create businesses by being in one of the poorest countries on the planet, providing they have the education and the knowledge and the discipline and the environment and the accountability and access to the internet. Because the worldwide, as we say, WWW, World Wide Web, it's worldwide wealth. You can be anywhere on the planet. You can be in the Amazon jungle. You can be in a third world country. Provided you have the skills, you have the knowledge, and you can learn through YouTube today. You can watch TED Talk. There's lots of free knowledge on the internet today that you can learn and study and model people and get trained and developed and growth opportunities to grow and expand yourself. So there's no shortage of anywhere on the planet today to grow and prosper in your life. You can break that cycle to start creating generational wealth and then do things for other people because the secret to living is giving. That's the key thing. The secret to living is giving. And most of your goals and dreams don't require your actions. It's about creating teams and teamwork. So that's why you can have lots of goals and you don't have to do it all. Because we can automate things, we can use virtual assistants, we can have other people help support us on our goals and dreams. Just in that little segment there was like a hundred little golden nuggets. And Darren, your comeback story is incredible. And I know that you've spoken to like over 150 different, you know, Fortune 500 companies and you've worked with them alongside them and supported them and helped them grow and become more efficient and, you know, getting their money right. And you said earlier that success leaves clues. So most of our audiences as entrepreneurs trying to get to that next level so they can get to the next level. And what's a few things, some common traits maybe that those Fortune 500 companies that you worked with all shared that, you know, we as entrepreneurs building businesses can then implement into, sure. you know, grow into the, our next level. So your decision makers that run these corporations or these families that started these businesses, key thing is your inner circle, right? Your life team. Most people never hear this terminology, but it's called the life team. Who's in your inner circle, right? Who are you soundboarding with? Who are you collaborating with? Who's your collective intelligence with? So that's a key thing is most people, when they first start off in a startup business or they're an entrepreneur or self-employed, they're doing things by themselves and they, their spouse or partner, significant other, him or her is usually their sounding board. You want to build a team, like an advisory board team around you of people that are more successful than you. So I always say to people, look at where you want to be in 12 to 24 months from now, one to two years from now, and get around people who are already at that. So if, if you want to get to a certain financial income level at next level, who are the people that are already living that lifestyle? If you want to have so much sales or recognition or awards, or you want to grow and scale a business, or you want to have growth in terms of your self-confidence, your self-image. Like an area in my life right now, I belong to a private men's group. And my goal this year is to work on vulnerability, work because I can compartmentalize things. I'm a, I can be very logical and I can detach from my oceans and just be so focused on the goal and just detach. And so I can spend all day with Tatiana, the love of my life and work 12, 14 hours a day, do what we love and get great joy out of that. And the other day, she's like, okay, I want relationship time now. I want intimate quality time. Like, wait a second. I just spent 12, 14 hours with you all day. Now you want one-on-one relationship intimate time with you? I've been with you all day. I want to be as a man and go to my man cave. I don't want to be with anybody. 
So now it's learning how to separate that and then maintain that and then transition to that and be fully heart wide open and be present and be connected and be in the moment with her, right? Even though I've been with her for 12 or 14 hours already all day, working with her within the group of companies and family foundation. So I have a life team of people around me that have it all, that do all that. So I meet with them for an hour and a half each week, 90 minutes a week, schedule our calendars, a weekly occurring meeting. And we get together and we talk about things just as men uh, about that. Of how do we open up our hearts more? How do we connect with our partners? How do we be fully out of our head into our hearts and into our bodies? And so every week, 90 minutes a week, it's a, I'm accountable for that every week. And I notice sometimes if I'm traveling and I have to miss that weekly meeting, I notice the ripple impact in my relationship. I notice the impact of me missing that 90 minutes each week, how much just like not going to the gym, not working out, eating a, you know, not healthy food, how much it throws you off that it's only one degrees, but that one degree shifts for me. So your environment is so important. So people that are starting off with get people around you who are much more better than you at what you want to get to. So for example, this quarter here in Q2, I realized that, you know, I've been doing a lot of hiking. So during COVID, I was 32 pounds overweight, statistically obese as a Canadian. And it was January 28th of 2021. I looked at myself in the mirror. I was shaving that day and I said, you know what? I don't have integrity. I am treating my body like a woodshed, not like a temple. I am disowning and disrespecting my human body. So the gyms were closed because of COVID rules. So I said to Tatiana, by the time my head hits the pillow tonight, I'm going to have a strategy and I'm going to take on my health and fitness and nutrition. So I reached out to a couple of people in my network and I said, listen, I don't know much about a fitness center or gym. I'm, you know, I'm kind of clumsy in that area, but I can hike. So I showed up hiking in jeans and running shoes. I didn't have any hiking equipment, any gear. I didn't know what to buy at the store or order online. I didn't know anything to do. So I showed up. I was the slowest person in the hiking group. Today, we have 94 people in our private WhatsApp group. I lead the groups today. I do some of the biggest mountains in the last year. I've climbed some of the biggest mountains in Canada, okay? Things I never thought I'd ever do before. I averaged 60 to 80 to sometimes 100 miles a week of hiking, if you can imagine, okay? So I, you know, I hike the, you know, I hike in the morning, I hike at nighttime, and I just structure it into my calendar. And now what I do, rather meet people in restaurants and coffee shops, I have people flying from all over the world that actually meet with me, and I take them hiking. And that's where I do my meetings while I'm hiking. So just recently here in quarter two, I realized I had to work on my shoulders and my back and to start develop muscles. My legs are really strong. So I'm like, man, I don't know what to do in a gym. And if I hire a personal trainer, I'm not going to get much joy out of that. So what I did was I found a group of guys here in Vancouver that meet from five to six every morning called the 5 a.m. club. And I called up one of the guys as a member. I saw him on social media. I said, listen, can I join your group? And he's like, sure. What's your experience? I said, zero. I have no experience in the fitness center world. I'm zero. I'm a newbie, new kid off the block. He's will come out. He goes, you know, we're, these guys have, are fitness models and been doing this for decades and thousands of hours in. I've got less than, you know, 10 hours under my belt, right? So I go three days a week now when I'm in Vancouver, I go work out with them. And I've just been doing it for a few weeks now, transforming my body. So I put myself into an uncomfortable environment of people who've been doing this for decades. I'm the newest person. I'm a little bit intimidated by it, but I'm accelerating my growth and development and I'm just loving the results so far. That's incredible. And Kudos to you for finding the weaknesses, doubling down on them and growing them. And I think what you shared is the significance of you're an average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. And you just surround yourself with people of five and, and that are in the areas that you want to grow in. And Steve and I are lucky to have you in our circle of five to be able to bounce ideas off you and think bigger and do bigger. But one of the reasons we love having you in our five is because your ability to give. You are through and through a philanthropist. You 
do everything in life, it feels because there's a purpose behind it. And I just want to start going deep into that now. Like, where does the passion for giving back come from? I would say probably it came from when I was younger and I realized that strangers care. And I had nothing, absolutely nothing, right? I was struggling to pay my bills on time. Like when I used to go to seminars, like I remember one of my first seminars, in fact, I'll, I'll show you something here. Give me one moment here. Some of you might know this gentleman. So th- you guys ever heard of a guy named Jim Rowan? Oh yeah. Jim Rowan? Yep. So I'll show you, I'll show you a picture here in my home office. I get a little emotional with this. This is me. I'm flat broke living on, I'm homeless and I'm on welfare. And this is in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. I look at myself in this photo and, you know, I was so scared of life, so insecure, so afraid. And, um, a lady, she paid for my ticket to come. She saw me struggling and she believed more in me than I believed in myself. And she took me to a Jim Rowan seminar back in the early 1990s. And uh, I didn't have money to pay for lunch. I was flat broke and I get emotional by it because she took me to that event and I went there like it was life or death. And I bought a notebook, bought a pen, and I said, she got me a front row ticket. And I sat there and I just wrote everything Jim Rowan said, just took notes, everything he said. Cause she told me this man would change my life and influence my life. And I've met Jim, as you know, I saw him there a few other times before he passed away on December 5th, 2009. And I said to him, when I'm in a better position, I will make a difference in the world. I gave my word to that. And so it was things like that, that, you know, when the student is ready, the teachers appear in our lives. And it was that woman. She took me to an event. It wasn't, so it was other people maybe went to a seminar to network. That event was life or death for me, right? Cause I don't know if I'd be alive after that event if I didn't go to that event. Cause I was so much traumatized in my child. I had so much trauma and this, you know, negative self-talk and didn't believe in myself and, you know, and all that stuff. Because when you're told that you're retarded as a kid, you're told that you're never going to amount to much, never go far. You're stupid. You're not good enough. You're unworthy enough. You don't matter. And this is the school system. These are people in the school environment. This wasn't my parents. But this is, this, these are my role models. These are my mentors. These are people I spend a lot of time and energy with every day. And that was the first several years of my life from grade one to grade 12. That really affected my self-worth, my self-confidence. So I had to unprogram a lot of that stuff through a lot of training, development, workshops and seminars and courses and mentors and coaches. So I know what it's like when people say, man, I have a lot of negative self-talk or I don't believe in myself or I don't think I'm smart enough or good enough or worth. I've experienced that and it never goes away. It never goes away. I have a major event coming up in what six weeks. I've just been calling some people to, to come with me to this VIP event that I'm going to. I'm being knighted by the Royal Family of Spain to become a Sir Darren Jacqueline here in a few months. And I reached out to a few people because I can bring eight guests to come with me at this private event. And I said to Tatiana the other day, I said, I don't know if I'm good enough to call these people. You know, what if they say no? What if they don't want to come? And they've all said yes. And to me, a part of me had self-doubt thinking, geez, because I remember being the kid being picked last. I remember the kid, you know, those childhood stories of, oh, you don't matter. You're not important. Why do they qualify their time to fly into to where you're going to meet? So I, that doubt creeps in. And then I just thank you for sharing. Right. And then I realized, okay, it's my brain's job is to protect me, keep me safe. So every human being, I've been around some of the most successful people in the world, right? From royal families to sports stars, to entertainers, to billionaires, to you name it. I've been around all these people around the world, presidents of countries and every human being. In fact, I remember Oprah Winfrey talked about one time when people would sit down on the Oprah Winfrey show. She had some very influential guests that would sit on her couch or sit in a chair on the Oprah set. And at the end of the taping of the show, they would turn to Oprah and say, did I do a good enough job? Is that what you wanted? So every Oprah said, wow, you know, here's this person sitting here 
that I look up to as a role model and as an influencer in the world. And they turned to me after the show and said, did I do enough good job? Was that okay? Was that all right? Just really give her a different perspective on that. We're all just human beings, right? We're all, we all have fear. We all have doubt. We all have worry. We all have insecurities. The difference is successful people act in spite of fear. They act in spite of discomfort. Yesterday I went hiking. I was completely exhausted, but I was committed to my commitments. And that's the key thing. When you don't feel like it, you don't want to do it. Are you still committed to your commitments? I have in my life, I use an iPhone. And what I do is I live by my calendar. And here's something I discovered. And this is something and that I very powerful strategy is that whatever you really want to do in your life, if it's not structured in your calendar, it does not exist in your life. So if you want to have more date nights with your spouse or partner, and that's lacking in your intimate relationship, if it's not structured and scheduled in your calendar, it's not going to happen. If you want to take family vacations, you have things on a bucket list or live list that you want to accomplish in the next few years or a few months of your life. If you don't have a structure and a calendar, it's not going to exist in your life. He think, I always have people come to me all the time. They go, Darren, I want to make more money in my job or my career or my profession. Great. Do you have revenue generating activities, income producing activities? Do you have wealth generating event activities in your calendar? Is it structured in your calendar? No, it's not going to happen. Physical fitness. I want to work out more. Great. Is it in your calendar? Right. Quality time with your children. Is it in your calendar? Right. I want to play more music. Great. Is it in your calendar? If it's not on your calendar, it doesn't exist in your life. And so I always have people fold their phone and show me their calendars. Like, well, I don't have a calendar. Okay, that's why people ask me, go, Darren, how do you get so much accomplished in a day? I have it in my calendar. How are you always on time? I take my iPhone. I'll give you an example. I'll show you. So my iPhone here, if you can see this, I have my alarms. So everything I do, I'm always early on time and in place. So what I do is for everything in my calendar, my alarms go off. So I can be fully present with you in the moment and my alarm will tell me it's time to transition. And so the key thing is that because when we show up, I'll give you an example. A little while ago, I was on a Zoom call and I got invited to a Zoom call to train some people virtually. And when I jumped on, Zoom had to do some updates, some security updates. So the gentleman who was introducing me, I didn't know him. It was done through an email introduction. I only had his email address. So I sent him an email. Hey, I'm going to be about five to seven, eight minutes here and I'm not going to be there on time. Cause I'm going to be out of integrity. And so he didn't see the email coming to his inbox as he was letting people into the zoom room, right? Welcoming the guests, the participants. So when I came in to be introduced, he said, well, let's just jump into it. Started to read my bio. I said, can we stop? He goes, what? I said, I need to restore integrity. We have to reset the room. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, because as I come in, I'm late. Some of the people who have been wanting to meet me here, they're qualifying their time. They're protecting their time. When I come in, they're not going to say anything, but the back of their mind is this guy reliable. Can I trust this person? So the point of this is be your word, be your word, right? I don't watch people's lips. I watch people's feet. Talk is cheap. In fact, we hear in business that talk is cheap. I think that most people cheapen their talk because their words have no power. And I'm guilty of that because in my 20s, my 30s, my words didn't mean anything. I'd say things, not follow through, not honor that, including myself. And today I have very high self-confidence. And people say, why do you have such high self-confidence? Why? How can you think so big? How can you think so big? How can you be so confident, Gareth, that you can do that? Because I know if I commit to my commitments and I give my word and I honor myself, I structure things into my calendar, I create teams of people that are like-minded and I make a lot of requests, I can fulfill on achieving big goals and dreams. Because how do you eat an elephant? One piece or one bite at a time. So that's one way to think a lot bigger in your life is by honoring your word because success is not something we grow up in the world to pursue. Success is something we attract into our lives by the person that we become. So the key thing is to become an attractive person. First thing to do is look at how you live your life. People want to earn a lot more money. 
look at all the areas right down on paper. One of my mentors many years ago, he said, Darren, you know the reason why you're struggling? Because you have so many other financial integrities. What are you talking about? It doesn't make any sense what you're talking about. He goes, I want you to write down on a piece of paper 50 areas of your life that you're financially out of integrity. You're crazy. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Are you going to do the exercise or not? If you don't do the exercise, mentorship's over. I'll find somebody else. And so I spent a couple of weeks writing down, and I was confronted by this, where am I out of integrity, right? And when you look at that, when you do an audit on your life, where are you financially? Oh, I was going to pay this bill on this date, and I didn't do that. Oh, I was supposed to do this, and I didn't do that. Then you go back and you restore your integrity by being in communication. And it's uncomfortable. It's not easy. You're not going to want to do it. But when you do it, you're going to have a tremendous breakthrough in your life. I called people up on the telephone and said, listen, I want to let you know, I need to restore integrity. I borrowed money from you one time and I didn't pay you back on time. I made all kinds of excuses and I avoided you and I didn't return your phone calls and all that stuff. And I apologize for you. I want to apologize for that. And I'm present to you right now what the impact may have been on you in your life. And I want to acknowledge and I want to apologize and I want to make it right. And I want to recommit to you because you matter to me in my life. And you have that uncomfortable work. It's not easy. It's uncomfortable. But the key thing is you restore your integrity, which means you restore your word. And the higher the levels you play at, without integrity, nothing works. There is no workability. Without integrity, nothing works. It will come down. Because remember this, time will either promote you or time will expose you. It's just a matter of time whether you get promoted or you get exposed. I got exposed with my health. I looked at myself in the mirror. I was 32 pounds overweight. I got exposed because of the choices and decisions that I made every day about what I put in my mouth. And the exercise I chose to do, right? And so the thing is, I got exposed. I got exposed by having an R9 credit rating because I didn't know how to manage money. And I was so out of integrity with my word when it came to financial matters. And so I got exposed. So what happens is sometimes when people are in adversities and challenges and they're like, oh my gosh, all this stuff's going on, you're being exposed. I love that. And, you know, integrity speaks. And, you know, you mentioned it's not always comfortable and it often isn't. And most times it's a little more challenging and it's oftentimes conversations you don't want to have with yourself and you avoid it and randy and i have learned from many years of self-development that you grow the most through those areas of uncomfortability and just want to thank you for sharing what you just shared and i do want to ask you about you know link foundation a little bit if that's where i think the answer of this question is going to go but big picture like you have a 100 year plan 250 year legacy plan you know you're going to live for decades more what is the impact that you want to leave on this world? Well, the, one big thing is education is realizing that, you know, in practical education, right, is a big thing because you walk into a third world village on a humanitarian trip and you meet with people that can never repay you. And you sit down with mothers in a village and you talk to them about sustainability and their environment. And they will tell you, and you ask, and I've been in third world countries. I've been in Uganda, Kenya, I've been in Ethiopia, and in many countries uh, throughout the African continent. And I've sat in these villages you know, where people live on grasshoppers and crickets and insects, run around naked, living in a mud hut. I've been there and I've stayed in these mud huts and it's an incredible experience. And you sit down around the campfire with no electricity, no running water, and you have an authentic conversation with them, a deep, meaningful, impactful conversation. And you say, if I could bring you one gift, I could honor one wish today in your village, what would it be? And the mothers will look at each other and they'll say, educate our village. Give us education. And that's the biggest thing. So education is a big thing. Because I was a kid that was misdiagnosed and mislabeled, right? So education, because education can change things. And then honor, respect, and values is important. The way you treat other people is important. The way you build relationships, authenticity, vulnerability, transparency is so important. 
So that would be the first thing. So with Link Foundation, which stands for Leaders Yielding to New Knowledge, we're building schools. We have our first pilot school over in Liberia, West Africa. So we're doing that. We'll then expand and branch off into other areas. We're looking at ways to create for-profit businesses. We're in discovery right now of a company that we can actually help to clean up plastic and maybe hire people in the villages to clean up plastic and then repurpose that plastic by going to, by going someplace to a plastic depot and then weighing that plastic, getting paid money and they repurpose that plastic into other products and services. So we're in discovery and due diligence of that right now. So we're looking for ways to always do economic development so we can have profit for people so that when we build Link Foundation and people want to contribute financial dollars, those financial dollars go right to the cause, not to overhead expenses and administrative costs, which a lot of charities and foundations do, right? So much cost is eaten up you know, by overhead costs and expenses. I want to have for-profit businesses with monthly recurring revenue coming in. So like right now, I have a large global network of a lot of people. And so people are always meeting, you know, reaching out to me for introductions. So what I do now is I have a referral agreement for our foundation. And somebody says, hey, can you introduce me to so-and-so? You know, I'm raising money. I want to buy, I'm buy my company or do an acquisition or I want to meet that person. I'm like, great. I'm going to give you an introduction, but we charge 10% or 20% uh, based on performance. And then whatever profit comes in off that referral agreement, that money goes to the foundation. So what I'm doing is I'm transforming my social capital into financial capital, but everybody wins. It's fair means of exchange. So we're creating, we're starting to build, creating monthly, multiple revenue streams for Lake Foundation. Just like a tree, you've got multiple revenue streams, multiple root systems so that it prospers and it grows. And so it's a different model. It's a different way of thinking. When I meet with other people doing philanthropy and humanitarian stuff, they're like, well, it's genius. Well, it's coming from prosperity and abundance versus lack and scarcity. Most people come from a place of lack and scarcity. There's never enough. In fact, we have an overflowing financial abundance on this planet. It's just your mindset, right? Because when you're struggling, you're focused on yourself. When you're in service to other people because the secret to living, you come from abundance, right? And that's the key thing is that when you're out there being a go-giver, not a go-getter, people just want to do things with you. They want to always do it. But when you're focused on going into a meeting what can I get from this other person? People can feel that energy. They're like, okay, this person just transactional. They're just trying to get something from me. Whereas when you walk in and say, listen, my agenda is completely here to listen to you and find a way to provide value and be in service to you and contribute to your life and make a difference, right? So that's the difference is that, so a lot of times we got to look at ourselves and say, okay, am I being relational or am I being transactional with people? Because I'll give you a quick example. Years ago, I was raising money for a business. And I was flat broke financially. I borrowed money to get my airline ticket. I borrowed money to stay at the hotel. So I fly into the city and I'm staying at a Holiday Inn and because there's a free continental breakfast the next day at the hotel. And I may have shared this story with you before, but most of your listeners don't know this. And it was a life-changing day for me. So I had this high net worth accredited investor who was going to meet with me. And I was looking for him to write a check for $50,000 that day. And I was hustling. I was grinding. I was desperate, right? I had, you can just smell I commission breath all over. Like I was desperate. Anyways, that morning, he reached out to me and he said, can you meet me in my office? Well, I didn't have any money for a taxi. They didn't have Uber back. They didn't have any money for a taxi. And I couldn't take public transit because where I was staying, there was no public transit. So I had no way unless I was going to walk several miles to get to this guy's office. I didn't know where in that city. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to just make something up, lie to him. And I'm going to have him come to the hotel and meet me here. I'm going to tell him. So I told him I'm going to buy him breakfast. Total lie. Guy comes to the hotel. I sneak him into the Holy Inn. And there's signs around the breakfast area for registered hotel guests only. He walks in. He's a high net worth investor, credit investor, walks in, sees these signs, very obvious, right? You have to be a registered hotel guest. I sit down with him. He gave me 30 minutes and I lunge in to pitch in selling him. And I just, I'm aggressive. 
and I lunged and picked his phone because I wanted to write a check for 50,000 US dollars. And what two, three minutes into this, he stops me. He goes, Darren, will you just shut up? Will you just shut up? I'm like, whoa, it's like he punched me in the face. Will you shut up? Or I'm going to walk out the door. You'll never see me again. He goes, I'm just about ready to leave and throw up with you. I'm sick of you. He goes, you're probably financially broke right now. He goes, you have so many out of integrities in your life and you're such a liar. I'm thinking, what? And then my ego kicks in. He goes, let's deal with some out of integrities. Number one is the reason why you didn't come to my office is because you're probably financially broke and you didn't have money for a taxi or a rental car. I'm like, of course, I don't want to admit it, but it was true. He said, the reason why you're staying at this hotel is because you can't afford anything else. You probably borrowed money to be in it. And this guy can just read it all. And I'm thinking, how does that, this guy doesn't even know me. How does he know all these things about me? Why? Because behavior never lies. Behavior never lies. My behavior was showing everything. Okay. All my cards were on the table with my behavior. Then he said to me, he says, I'm not supposed to be in here right now. You told me you're going to buy me breakfast. It says for registered guest hotels, registered guests only in this hotel. He says, second thing I want to share with you is I see a lot of my younger self in you, how I used to be. So I'm not going to write you a check for $50,000 today. I'm just going to give you some advice. You take it for what it's worth. You're going to leave here today being upset with me or you're going to leave it and realize this is a mentorship. I'm going to mentor you right now. He goes, Darren, and this is something for everybody to write down. This is very powerful information. Successful people do not want to be pitched or sold. They want to be educated and they want to be informed. And think about in our lives, how many times do we pitch and sell people? We're always pitching and selling versus educated and informed. In our relationships, we're pitching and selling, trying to get our spouse or partner on our side. Gotta sell them. Gotta pitch them. And all the time we're at a trade show or a conference or a seminar or a workshop or online. We're always pitching and selling, running around, trying to work the room, network, do all, I've done all that stuff, right? Get the most amount of business cards in a room. I meet the most amount of people, pitching and selling. Every time I meet somebody, I gotta always be selling them, always be closing, all that stuff. And when you meet the most successful people in the world, they don't pitch or sell, they educate and inform. They're just having a conversation with you by listening and asking questions and getting to know you and like you and trust you. In the medical industry, there's a saying that says prescription before diagnosis is called malpractice. And most people are prescribing, oh my gosh, you know what? Oh my gosh, Randy. Oh my gosh, Steve, you'd be great for my opportunity. You should get involved in my opportunity. You don't even know anything about me. Oh my gosh, you should invest in this. <laughs> what am I investing into? I mean, done you discover your due diligence? So you want to educate and inform versus special. So I walked away that day didn't get a check for $50,000, but it transformed my life of my behavior of how I was acting. And so how, how much of an integrity I was operating in my life and not realizing that people with a more intellectual, more successful me could see those in that in me. And that's why they were running away from me. And that's why when I would call people, they wouldn't return my phone calls. When I'd send text messages, emails, they, I wouldn't get a response. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, why is this so hard? Because people don't know me. They don't like me. They don't trust me. And I wasn't attracting people to me. I was repelling people away from me. And when I had to confront myself and realize, wow, I am repelling people, not attracting people. It's me. Nobody's a jerk until I show up. I was the jerk. And when I had to confront myself, realizing, wow, success is not something we go out in the world to pursue. Because I was out pursuing success. I was hustling. I was grinding. But I was always broke. Things weren't working out for me. Things are blowing up all around me all the time. Couldn't pay my bills on time. I don't credit rating. Why isn't everything working for me? But then I'd work harder. I'd get up earlier. I'd go to bed later. i put in more hours, more time, read more books, take more courses, more classes, and until nothing's working. Why the heck isn't anything working? Because it was about me. It was how I was showing up, how what I gave my word to, how I was treating people. I was transactional versus relational. I was what can I get versus what can I give? And when I started to change all that, because if you will change, everything will change for you. If you will change, everything will change for you. I had to reinvent myself. And I realized, man, if I change, everything will change for me. So I started to notice and observe my life. And I started to journal. Like I journal every day. Write down 
how do I show up in these situations? Just like in sports, you replay the game tape. And I started to look at, my gosh, I'm transactional with people. I'm taking from people versus contributing. I'm not building relationship equity. I'm trying to get versus give. And when I started to do all that stuff, my bank account changed, my lifestyle changed. Everything around me just started to change. And things started to prosper and grow and expand and grow today. And I can see that in so many other people now when I meet them. I was on a call earlier this morning with a guy pitching and selling me on the call. And I just couldn't wait to get off the call. And I was thought, no, the guy's not opening any feedback right now. He's going he's gonna to drown a little bit longer. He's going to struggle a little bit longer. He may never learn the lesson. But I could provide so much value to this guy on the phone, but his ego got in the way. And I can yeah. write to him because I saw myself on that phone call many years ago. And I used to make phone calls all the time. That's awesome, Dan. Well, that's so incredible. And those stories are so amazing. And I could just listen to you speak all day long, but we've got to get into our giving round here quickly. But before we do, one thing we like to ask our guests is just brag on yourself for one second. Like, what is your favorite moment of giving that gives you goosebumps when you think about it? Just that, that chill, that shiver. What is a moment for you that has that? Well, one of the one of the big learning lessons in my life was a mentor of mine many years ago, very low profile guy. He's passed away now. We were actually in Vernon, British Columbia, Canada. We we're at Polson Park one day. And this gentleman had a briefcase. We're sitting down at a picnic table, one time a park bench. And he had to go get the newspapers from around the Okanagan Valley, British Columbia, in Vernon, Kelowna, actually even Canloops, Penticton. We had all these newspapers. And this is back, must be 20 years ago. And we're going through these newspapers and we're looking at, you know, this person's doing a bake sale. This person's doing a hot dog sale. And then we called, he had one of those big old brick cell phones. We called the editor of the newspaper and we talked to the lady or man who wrote that story, that news reporter. And we'd find out the contact information of that person that was doing the bake sale and they're raising money for children's hospital because their kid's sick. And I saw this man in front of me that day, write anonymously $100,000 in checks. And we used the city hall as a return address. And it was a profound day because that man, who was a mentor of mine, he was a big real estate developer, a real estate investor. He said to me, Darren, I want you in your life to be like a secret Santa Claus. I want you to do things where you will help people in your community, help people in your nation, and they never know it came from you. And so when I was traveling a lot around the world, I was traveling about between two and 300,000 miles a year. I had connections with the airlines, with some of the people that worked internally because of my background with corporate training. And I had so many tens of thousands of air miles I was generating all the time that I had honestly gifted families that had to go to like Ronald McDonald House or children's hospitals in different cities. Airline tickets would show up in their mail and, you know, for husband and wife or the parents to fly from where they were to work to go. And I gifted that. So I've done stuff like that. I've done things like that where I've gifted people. I've written letters. I've been in restaurants and hotels and various different places traveling. And I see a, a man or woman doing exceptional customer service. And I would get their name badge, find out who they were. And I would write a letter to the CEO or the human resources manager or the owner of that hotel chain or that company and saying, listen, I highly recommend that you promote that person to front supervisor or sales manager in that company. You promote them up and within. And if you don't consider promoting them, I'm going to promote them to other people and they're going to recruit them away from your organization. So, you know, it's on. Like either you promote them and the next time I come back to your establishment, if they're not promoted, then I'm going to find somebody to poach them and head them out of your organization because they're a key asset. If you don't promote them up and within, we're going to promote them out. And so I've done a lot of that. And so there's a lot of people today that I've traveled the world and I've went back and I've seen, you know, different people that are in different positions today and they don't know that I wrote the letter. And, cool. you know, I've just done an awesome. And so that's a great feeling doing things like that for people because, you know, they got that promotion, they got that raise, they got that salary increase, they got that contract, they got that deal. 
And I was a part of that. And I got a chance to put my fingerprints on that. And they don't know that it came from me. And that's really, I'm really grateful for that. And I've done very, it honestly. Very cool. Absolutely love that. Very special. We're going to jump to the giving round now. So these are just short one word answers for the most of the questions here. And we'll start with brag on one charity you like. Should be pretty obvious. I'd say our foundation, Leak Foundation, because we're doing it right and we're making a huge difference in the world. What excites you more, donating a $100,000 or a million dollar check or going and spending a week physically helping people? I'd say physically helping people because you can teach them how to fish versus giving them a fish. Who inspires you with their giving? Oh gosh, you know, lots of people. I've, I couldn't name one specific person because I've met a lot of people and I've learned a lot from a lot of different people. But I, I think the biggest, one of the big things is, is when I go to a third world country or go to an African village and I go there to give them gifts and make a difference and bring in clean drinking water and they end up wanting to give me things in return. And I'm like, wow, okay, you're living in a mud hut. You, you know, you have no running shoes, nothing. And you want to contribute to my life and make a difference. And I've had people give me rice when they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And if I don't take it, it's a dishonor to their village. And so I eat the rice with them, even though they may not have a meal for a couple of days and they'll fast or they'll starve. That's amazing. Do you think that starting out entrepreneurs should start giving from their business from day one or wait until they've seen some success and have some money? Start giving up front. In fact, set a target that you're going to contribute so much every quarter, every month, whether it's financial or products or services, because now there's an accountability. Because people do more for other people than they will for themselves. Giving can be done in so many different ways other than giving checks. It can be done with free programs, mentorship, your time, et cetera. What's one unique way that you give back? So I wrote a book that my team helped me with. So my intention is to become a guest, best giving author and give a million copies away in my book. And, you know, I could become a best selling author, no problem. And I want to be known as a guest, best giving author. My intention is to give away a million books. Wow. Around the planet. Very cool. Love that. Yeah. So I've never heard that before. It's amazing. What is one word that you would describe when the, with the feeling that you get when you give? Gratitude, joy. Absolutely. Beauty. And the final question that we ask all of our guests, do you believe that money can buy you happiness? I think it's a great down payment. I think money gives you options. It gives you choices to create life experiences that can create happiness. It doesn't give you the happiness, but it creates gives you opportunities and choices to do that. That might be one of the best answers. It gives you the down payment to go do it. So that is absolutely fantastic. Well, look, Darren, thank you so much for coming on and sharing so much value. I mean, uh, if it were me, I'd probably listen to this episode two or three times, and I probably will. Just take away all the absolute gold nuggets that you dropped for us. And you continue to inspire us and so many people around you to go bigger with their dreams and goals so they can get bigger with their profits. So thank you for coming on and thank giving you. us the gift and sharing that out. Grateful to be here. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can, and it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.